Uh, you guys, this Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. And on the church calendar, Ash Wednesday marks the beginning of a season called Lent, uh, which is the 40 or so days leading up to Good Friday and eventually Easter. Lent is a time of fasting, of reflection, and of repentance. And it's a time we all focus on the story of Jesus, and especially the story of his suffering and hurt and death, before we eventually celebrate his resurrection and his life this coming Easter. In this period of Lent, many of us will choose to fast from something for the duration of Lent, for the 40 days. And fasting isn't always something that we do by ourselves. It isn't just an individual endeavor, but sometimes it can be a communal journey that can bind us together. As we give up some sort of practice or habit or provision, we're not only shifting our focus off of ourselves, but we're shifting our focuses onto God in a shared act of devotion. Now, this collective self-denial draws us nearer to the divine story as we depend more deeply on Jesus for our sustenance and provision. Now, some of us will give up things like meat, uh, sugar, or alcohol uh, for 40 days. Others will, give up, others will give up like a habit like Netflix or social media. Uh, this year, I'm going to give up video games. It's embarrassing to say that out loud. I'm going to give up video games. But you know, I, I use video games sometimes to turn off my brain, right? Like I, it's, it's an escape, right? Like I just, I don't have to think and I, I turn off my brain. But this period of Lent, I'm going to use that time I gain from not playing any video games to interact more meaningfully with my life and maybe to pray and to read just a little bit more. Now fasting is this like sacred thing that is woven throughout the biblical narrative. And it's a thread that connects us to people like King David and Moses and even Jesus himself. When we fast, we walk in the footsteps of these great giants of Scripture. And this year for Lent, I just I want to encourage you, it starts this Wednesday, I want to encourage you to consider fasting for, from something for Lent. You could even join us uh, this Wednesday. We're having an Ash Wednesday service to mark the beginning of Lent. You could join us for that, and on Wednesday, we're going to spend some time worshiping together. We're going to spend some time reading the scripture together. And then one point in the evening, you'll be invited to come up to the front where a person at the front will take ashes and put a sign of the cross on your forehead. And they'll look at you and they'll say, from dust you came and from dust you will return. A reminder of our mortality and our need to depend on God for life. <clears throat> Ash Wednesday and Lent, there are these powerful Christian traditions, right? And and it's nice because our worship team here at Fort City has actually kind of developed a really great Lent tradition as well. Uh, every year at the end of Lent, all the churches in Fort McMurray get together for a communal Good Friday service. All the churches in Fort McMurray are a part of it. And it's this great event where we get to worship with our Christian brothers and sisters from other churches. And every year there's normally a band that leads worship for the Good Friday service, and it's made up of musicians from every church, and, which means there's always some musicians from Fort City Church on the band at this service. And about 10 years ago, I don't know exactly, it was around 10 years ago, a few of us were on the band for Good Friday, and uh, the Good Friday band always practices on Thursday night before Good Friday. We practiced, and then after practice was over, the couple of us from Fort City walked across the street to the pub, and we had a beer, and we spent some time hanging out together. And then we did it the next year, and then we did it the next year, and then we did it the next year, and now we have this tradition where every good Thursday, 
our worship team goes to this same pub in Dickensfield, and we spend some time hanging out with each other. And so last year, on a good Thursday, I went to the pub a little bit early to save some seats for our worship team. You know, there's going to be a bunch of us. And I walked into the pub and sat down. And as I was sitting there, I was like, this feels, it feels different tonight. There's a really weird vibe in this place. There's some weird decorations, and people are kind of acting weird. And I'm sitting by myself in the back corner, and I text my wife. I'm like, wow, the... The vibe in here is really off tonight. And she texts me back a picture from the pub's Facebook page, an advertisement on their Facebook page that says, tonight only at this pub, I won't say the name, sex bingo night. (laughs) You guys, my ministry life flashed before my eyes. I was like, Pastor Lucas just invited 20 people from his church to sex bingo night at the pub, and like, I'm sitting there by myself, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is horrible. And I, I didn't know if I wanted to tell this story or not, because this morning our, our tech team, our production team, is made up of only teenagers. And so guys, if, if you don't know what Sex Bingo Night is, just ask your parents, they'll, they'll give, it, give you the details. But my, 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 my life flashed before my eyes, you guys. It was so, so embarrassing. It, and, you know, there was a way to, for me to avoid this blunder, right? There was a way for me to not make this mistake. The information was readily available that I should not go to that place on that night. But I didn't check. I didn't search out that information. I just assumed it would be the way it always was there. And Well, you know what happens to you and me when we assume things. You guys, life is complicated, Right? Growing up is complicated. Relationships are complicated. The workplace is complicated. I know like being a parent feels super complicated, but so does being a single person. Life is is just complicated. If only there was a resource to guide us, right? If only there was a guide to living a life of purpose. If only there was something that could shed light on the mysteries of the universe and on what it means to be human. If only right? That's it for me today, guys. Thanks for coming. We'll see you (laughs) next week. There is a resource. There is a guide. There is an instruction manual on what it means to be human. It's this book, and we call it the Bible, and it's the revelation of God's word for us. Now, I believe this book is the most significant document every printed, and it contains the words of life for every generation. And I believe it provides the answers to some of life's most difficult questions, and it challenges us to think critically and creatively about the world's greatest mysteries. And I was chatting with uh, Carol Jenkins this week, and she she described her Bible really well, and I really liked it. She told me she calls her Bible an instruction manual on how to be human. And yet, you guys... Even though this book is accessible to each one of us, this book often goes unopened in our day-to-day lives. Even though you can download this entire book onto your phone, more often than not, the only time we see or read scripture is when it gets put on the screen on a Sunday morning. Don't feel bad about that. This is not a common or new problem when it comes to people who are following Jesus. This morning, I want to look at an encounter that Jesus had with some people who needed to read 
their Bible a little bit more. There was a group of Jews called the Sadducees, and they were very pious. They were very, very religious people. But instead of recognizing all of Scripture as being important and valuable, the Sadducees, they only thought the first five books of Scripture uh, called the Pentateuch, they thought that that's the only part of the Bible or Scripture that they thought was binding, that they should live their lives by. And because of this, they didn't believe in an afterlife, or in the language of the time, they didn't believe in resurrection of the dead. It was just something they didn't believe in. They believed that when you die, it's just over and you disappear. And one day, a group of these Sadducees, these very religious, pious people, were trying to trip Jesus up with a riddle. And so I want to turn to Matthew 22, where Matthew recorded this story for us. I'm going to read a bit of this story for us this morning. So Matthew 22, verse 23. That same day, Jesus was approached by some Sadducees, religious leaders who say there is no resurrection from the dead. And they posed this question. Teacher, Moses said if a man dies without children, his brother should marry the widow and have a child who will carry on the brother's name. Well, okay, we should probably stop there. That's kind of a big deal, uh, actually. Um, This statement needs some context, right? So in this ancient world, if a man died and he didn't have any children, didn't have any heirs, his entire life's legacy, all of his possessions would go to somebody outside the family. Women didn't have the wife, didn't have the same rights as men in this period of time to work and to possessions. And so what would often happen when, if this scenario, if a man died without an heir, a woman would fall into poverty. His wife would fall into poverty and, and often die very young because there would be nobody to take care of her. This is this ancient world that we're talking about. Things are very different now, but this, she would go uncared for, ignored by society, and and she'd fall through the cracks. And this was unacceptable to Moses, right? Moses valued human life. He's the guy who wrote the words, we, God made mankind, men and women, in the image of God. He believed in the innate value of human beings. And so to see women fall into poverty just be, when their husbands would die was unacceptable to him. And so he made this rule that if a husband died with no heirs, his brother would have to step in and take his place. And I've often joked uh, with my wife and my little brother Jake that if I died, Jake would have to step in and marry Adrian and take care of my kids. And Adrian says, not a chance. And I say, well, it's in the Bible. You, got it. you don't have a choice. So she really wants me to live, you guys. <laughs> So the Sadducees, they remind Jesus of this ancient law, this important, valuable, kind, merciful law from back in the day. But then they go on, well, suppose there were seven brothers and the oldest one married, uh, uh, the, the oldest one married and then died without children. So his brother married the widow, but that second brother also died. And the third brother married her. And this continued with all seven of them. Last of all, the woman also died. So tell us who's life will she be in, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? For all seven were married to her. And the Sadducees, they just sit back and they're like, we got him. We got him, you guys. We're going to make Jesus look silly here. Because Jesus has been teaching about life after death. He's been teaching about the resurrection. He's been teaching about the kingdom of heaven. And these Sadducees, they think that's all a pile of baloney. And Jesus is about to flip the script on them and make them look silly by using their own scriptures to, you know, to make them silly. But that's not the part I want to focus on. What Jesus says next to these guys is so incredibly powerful. I was sitting in my big yellow chair this week, and when I read these words, I, I sat up straight in my chair, and I was like, wow, this is so 
important. Jesus looks at these men and he says, your mistake is you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. You don't know the scriptures and you don't know God's power. For as smart as you are, as religious as you are, you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. Of all of your experience and all the good things you have done in your life, your mistake is still that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God for today. And this is what I want to talk about this Sunday and next Sunday. For the rest of today, we're going to talk about the scriptures. We're going to talk about the Bible. What really is the Bible? Who wrote it? Were they trustworthy? How do you read it? Is it all true or is just some of it true? What is the Bible? And the next Sunday, we're going to talk about why the Word of God is powerful for discovering how to live a full life. How it isn't just historical stories and lessons from yesterday, but the Bible points to a miraculous life of power and presence for those of us who follow Jesus Because one day, you guys, I'm going to stand before Jesus, and I don't want him to look at me and say, Lucas, your mistake was you didn't know the scriptures, and you didn't know my power. I want to know both. I want to live both. I want to know God's truth, and I want to experience God's power. And I want that for you as well. And so for a few minutes today, we're just going to talk about the Bible. We're going to talk about the word of God. So what is the Bible? Now, the Bible is not a book in the typical way we think of books. This is not just a single book. In fact, this is more of a collection of books, or even a better description might be a library. Um, Collection of ancient stories, of history, of poems, sermons, prophecies, and letters that were written and compiled over a period of like 3,000 years years. And more than 40 human authors have contributed to the Bible. And this includes people like kings, peasants, philosophers, fishermen, poets, statesmen, scholars. They've all contributed to what we call the Bible. And so, for example, in the book of Philippians, right, it isn't really a book. It's actually a letter that was written. So this guy, Paul, he's kind of important in the New Testament. He's in prison because of his faith. And he hears about this church he started in the city of Philippi, that things aren't going well and they need a little bit of help. And so Paul sets out and writes them a letter to encourage them. And then Paul puts that letter for prison. He puts that in the hand of a trusted messenger and tells him to deliver it to the church in Philippi. And Paul prays and hopes that his letter, his words, reach the church in Philippi to encourage them. And it did, and they loved what they read, and so they made copies of it and and kept it and learned from it. And years, hundreds of years later, this letter that Paul wrote ends up in the Bible. Or there's the book of Proverbs, right? It was written by a guy named Solomon. Solomon was a very wise king of Israel, and he had many children, and he wanted to pass down his wisdom to his children, right? He, he, He wanted his kids to learn from his mistakes, and so he wrote this manifesto called Proverbs so that his children could learn of his wisdom. And so he, he wrote this for his children, and then copies were made of it. And, and a thousand years later, this book of Proverbs finds its way into our Christian Bible. 
Or there's a book of Exodus. It was written by a guy named Moses. We've already talked about him today. Exodus is just largely the historical account of the time the people of God spent wandering the desert after they were uh, freed as slaves in Egypt. It's a historical account. And and Moses wrote it down because he wanted future generations to know that God is faithful even in the desert. Or then there's the book of Revelation, right? Right? Our guy John one day has this incredible, fantastical dream and vision about the future church and about the apocalypse and about Jesus, and he he decides to write down this fantastical vision, knowing it was important, but not really knowing what it meant. And he wrote it down, and this book of Revelation has found its way into our Christian Bibles. The Bible is a collection of historical documents, poems and prose and wisdom and instruction for Christian living. And here's the thing about the Bible. It was written in three different languages as well. Languages that nobody speaks anymore, Aramaic, Hebrew, and Greek. And so because it was written in these original languages and because none of, I mean, I'll be really impressed if anybody in here speaks Aramaic, but, you know, because none of us speak these or read these, the Bible has to be translated from its original languages into English for us to understand. And the Bible, from its original languages, the original documents, has been translated into over 2,500 different languages and dialects. And and you might know that language and translation, it's not like an exact science like math, and that's why you see there's several different versions of the Bible out there. Some are more literal literal translations. They're kind of hard to understand. They're very abrupt and they're very direct. And then there's equivalent translations that take what the, the original document said and try to make it more equivalent to modern day language. And then there's paraphrase versions which take the original content and paraphrase it in really modern conversational languages. So I want to give us an example of this because I had a friend this week by a King James Version Bible not understanding that there's different translations. He went to read it. He felt like it was in a different language, right? And so what translation you buy is important. What translation you read is important. So we're going to look at the Bible, Mark chapter 6. It's a story where Jesus feeds the multitude. He feeds thousands and thousands of people miraculously. So here they are in the wilderness. There's at least 5,000 people there, definitely probably more. And the disciples are looking at Jesus and they're all worried because they don't have enough food to feed feed all these people. And so they're scared that there's going to be a riot. They're scared that things are going to get out of hand when the people realize they don't have food. And so they're stressing and they go to Jesus and they're like, Jesus, what are we going to do? We don't have any food. We only have a couple of fish and a couple of loaves of bread. And so we're going to look at the response Jesus has for them in three different translations. So so the first one we're going to look at is from the English Standard Version, the ESV. This is a very literal translation of Jesus' response. Uh, No, no, no. I've confused myself. This is not Jesus talking. This is the disciples' response to Jesus. Jesus tells them, well, you go feed them. You feed them. And then this is the disciples' response to Jesus telling them to feed them. They say, shall we go buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Mark 6, 37. See, this is an accurate, literal translation of what the original text said. But if you don't know what a denarii is, if you're not up to snuff on your ancient Middle Eastern finances, you have no idea what they're talking about here, right? But 
the context helps. A denarii is a day's wage. And, and so the disciples, they definitely didn't have almost a year's salary lying around to buy food for these people. And even if they did, there's no shops around where they could buy enough food. And so this translation is literal. But if you aren't up to snuff on your 2,000-year-old Middle East finances, this isn't going to make very much sense to you about the whole denarii thing. And so let's look at this same verse, this same response from an equivalent translation called the New Living Translation, or the NLT. This is how they respond. Jesus says, go feed them. And they say, with what, they asked. We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all of these people. You see, it's a little bit easier to understand, right? It doesn't mention denarii. It's, it's something that none of us really know anything about. But you, as the reader, even though you don't know anything about the denarii, can understand what Jesus is asking them to do is kind of audacious and impossible. Now let's look at a paraphrased translation from the message translation. Mark 6, verse 37. Again, they replied, are you serious? You want us to go spend a fortune on food for their supper? And you can see it's using modern language and conversational language to faithfully paraphrase the, the original text which talked about denarii. Now it's not a literal translation, it's a paraphrase, one that's a little bit easier to understand it. And so each of these, you can see on the screen, all three of them together, each of them provide a little bit of something that's a little bit valuable all on the same verse. And so I, I just wanted to show you this because I think it's important that we understand that all the translations are trying to faithfully represent the original text in a way that honors God and honors the stories and honors the reader in helping us to understand what the Bible is trying to, te to tell us. And the Bible's complex. The truth is the Bible is really complex. But within the pages of this book are simple truths that each one of us can gain if we decide to open its pages. Now, a few years ago, uh, I experienced something that helped to remind me that I'm not as young as I once was. Um, we went down with my family to Heritage Park downtown. It's kind of this, like, museum. It's really beautiful. They've got, like, all this old stuff from Fort McMurray down there, uh, like an old uh, pharmacy, an old church, and it's, it's just kind of like a living museum of the way things used to be in Fort McMurray. And they've got all these old relics from the past. And then we're down there with my family, and in the back corner, I, something kind of catches my eye, this big yellow thing. And I walk over, and I look, and it's, it's a fire truck. It's a yellow fire truck. And I realize... It's not just any fire truck. That's Pumper 3. Pumper 3 was the first fire truck I ever learned to use. And in that moment, I realized I was so old that stuff I have used in my lifetime was already in a museum. <laughs> that was a hard realization for me, you guys. You know you're getting old when stuff you've used shows up in a museum. And, and I only tell this story because... Not everything that's old loses its value. Not everything that ends up in a museum is irrelevant. You know what never gets, word, gets old is, is the word of God. You know what never loses its potency? It's the Bible. It's the truth of scripture. It will continue to have new and fresh inspiration and in life for you every time you sit down to read it. I loved it this week. I was uh, on Facebook, and Rita Knelson shared a scripture verse on her wall, and I, it was just so perfect. It's from Isaiah 40, verse 8, and it says, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. The word of God was valuable yesterday. It's valuable today, and it's going to be valuable again tomorrow. 
And so the real question, the real question that I want you to ask yourself, and I, I don't want you to feel bad about the answer, but I want you to ask yourself this question. Will you read it? Will you choose to set apart part of your day to open this book and discover the message Jesus has for you that day? Consistent and regular time set aside reading the Bible might be exactly what you need in your life. So here's a challenge. We talked about our Ash Wednesday service already that's happening this Wednesday. You should come. But starting Ash Wednesday, this Wednesday, our church is going to engage in a church-wide Bible reading plan. Each day we're going to open the Bible app on our phones. Now, if you read a physical Bible like me for, for Lent, you can just give it a break. We're going to read using our Bible apps together on our phone. And every day there's going to be a little, it says day one, day two, day three, it tells you the date. Every day we are going to read the same bit of scripture together in this app. And then at the bottom of the app there's an opportunity for you to comment and, and you can share what that scripture meant to you or was it valuable to you. And for 40 days, for the season of Lent, you and me, we're going to read scripture together. And you know what? You're going to miss some days. You're going to like be busy one day and you're going to miss a day. And then you're going to feel like, well, I missed a day. I should quit. Don't quit. Just skip those other places and catch up to us and read again on that day. Because I, I truly believe, we talked about it last week, the reading the Bible is one of the most valuable things a Christian can do in discovering who Jesus is and what Jesus wants for your life. And so if you're looking to start a Bible reading habit, join us this Lent. It starts this Wednesday. Wednesday. Don't go ahead. Don't skip ahead. Read with us. Start this Wednesday. And so it's really easy to join us. All you've got to do, you see there's a QR code on the screen. You can pull out your phone right now. You open your camera app. You point at that. It's going to highlight it. I'm going to just imagine you're taking a picture of me because I'm so handsome and you want to tell everybody how great the sermon was today. But you can just scan that QR code and join us on Wednesday for our Bible reading plan. Jesus told the Sadducees that their mistake was they didn't know the scriptures. And don't let that be a mistake that you make too. It's a mistake I don't want to make. But that wasn't the only thing Jesus told them, right? He said, your mistake is you don't know the scriptures, but you don't know the power of God either. The Bible is full of wisdom and instruction for living, but that's not all, is it? There's power in the words and the pages of this book. So when it comes to the Bible... What kind of power is there? If you want to know that, you have to come back next week. I'm not going to tell you today. Okay, guys, let's take a minute to pray. <clears throat> Jesus, I thank you for this opportunity that we've had this morning to gather together, to be led in worship, to say our praises to you, and to open up this incredible book called the Bible. And we thank you that you've chosen to reveal yourself and your kingdom and your ways to us through the words on these pages. And Jesus, I pray today for each one of us that the Holy Spirit will fill our hearts and our minds and that the words in this book will become more than words on a page, but they'll be words written on our hearts and words that change our lives, words that change our families, words that inspire us and convict us, words that challenge us and encourage us. And Jesus, may you write your word on our hearts. Give us a hunger for the word of God. I pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.